good morning. Just want to start this morning with just a couple reminders, uh, announcements, kind of family news. Remember, next Sunday we're not meeting here. We are meeting at the at the fair. Church at the fair is at 10 a.m. in the grandstand. So if you come here, it's going to be pretty quiet and pretty empty. Uh, but we're, we're joining together with Calvary Bible and One Hope Assembly for a community worship service. Um, and it's going to be a, a great morning. Now, if there's any weird weather happening, just kind of check the church Facebook page for any updates that might need to be made. And the, the Boy Scouts, we are partnering together with the Boy Scouts to help clean up the church fair. So that is uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday mornings at 6.30. Uh, you can just show up in the grandstand main area and just start picking up trash and making the place look nice for the day. And then again on Sunday evening after, after the demolition derby, they also need help as well. Um, and then speaking of... Um, ministry opportunities. If, if you've noticed over the last few months, and especially during the school year, our worship services are getting full. Um, it might not feel like it today, but uh, our church is growing. Uh, growing attendance um, in a lot of ministry ways as well, but growing attendance also means a growing need for volunteers. Um, and there's areas for you to serve in, and we are looking to expand our volunteer base to make ministry happen here at Journey. So you can volunteer in areas like making and serving coffee on Sunday mornings. Um, you could be a door greeter. You can volunteer to love on babies in nursery. Uh, you can volunteer to teach our children in Sunday school classes. You could be on the AV team and help click, click through the slides or work on the soundboard. Um, if you have musical ability or vocalist, uh, you can be on the praise team. Or you can preach a sermon if you want to do that. A lot of opportunities for you. Um, and mo most of our volunteering opportunities are about once a month or, or even less, the bigger the teams are. Um, so if that's you, if you've been looking for a way to connect, uh, you can express interest in a few different ways. One, you can go on to our Church Center app and under sign up, uh, there is an opportunity, it just says join a team. And all the, all the various opportunities are listed there. Click on that and Adam or, or myself will get in contact with you. Or you can stop by the starting point table. We always have those connect cards there. And on the back of those connect cards, you can check the, the box that says interested in volunteering. Or you can just stop us and have a conversation. Grab Jen or Adam or myself after church today and just let us know you're interested. And we can definitely find a slot for you. All right, this morning we come to Romans chapter 11 in our series through the book of Romans that we started back in April, and this chapter is really, it's a confusing one. Um, it's a challenge. It's all about Israel and how God grafted in these gentle Gentiles, and he's using this example and illustration of horticulture, and, and I've been reading this chapter all week long, and I'm like, looking at going, I don't know what to do with that. And, and the temptation is to skip it over and, or just skim it. And in fact, I heard about one pastor who, who was preaching through Romans and he got to this point and he said, you know, I've been reading this text and I couldn't figure out anything applicable to it. So today we're just going to pray for our VBS and our children. So that's what we're going to do here today. No. No, we're, we're going to dive into it. In fact, even some biblical scholars say that Romans chapter 9 through 11 is almost like a footnote. 
Because if you remember, chapter 8 ended with the idea that nothing can separate us from Christ. And then chapter 12 picks up with these great words, therefore present your bodies to God. And the, the, full, the thought flow really works nicely from chapter 8 to chapter 12. But then there's this middle section that we come to and we've been looking at. Today is chapter 11, and it just feels like you, you lose the thought. But at, as we dive into it, we're going to pull out some application this morning because it is relevant to us as all Scripture is. So to kind of help us grasp the application and understanding of this chapter, I want to kind of pause for a minute and back up and do a little review on the big picture of Romans. Back on week one in April when we laid out uh, the book of Romans, um, we, we pointed out that Romans is first of all a gospel-saturated letter. It begins in chapter 1 talking about the gospel, and it ends in chapter 16 about the gospel. It opened and closes with that, and so it's kind of the framework, the bookends of, of the letter. But Romans is also a, a community-building letter. Um, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but it, it addresses some of the disunity that, that's going on within the, in the various churches in the city of Rome because there's Gentile believers who are non-Jews and there's Jewish believers, and, and they are not mixing well. So Paul wants to address that issue. He wants the believers to live in harmony. So if you remember the scenario, the emperor at the time was Claudius, and Claudius, for whatever reason, he expelled all the Jews from Rome. And this, this uh, lasted about seven, eight years or more, roughly. And during that time, the Gentile believers were still in Rome, and the church flourished. The church grew. It was expanding. So when Emperor Claudius dies, the Jews come back to Rome, and they come back and they realize, you know, this church is growing. And they're, and they're thinking, this isn't the way we've done it. You know, this was our church. What have you done to our church? And, and so there's this conflict. There's this tension going on. And they realize that, you know, that there's this division. So Paul addresses that in his letter because he wants them to have community. And ultimately, the book of Romans is a missional letter because Paul wants the believers in these churches to live on mission. He wants them to support his mission work, but, but live missionally. And you can't do that if there's disunity, if there's internal conflict and internal dissension. So he's, he's basically telling them to stop chasing after insignificant things. And let's focus on the gospel. And that's why the gospel is so prevalent through this letter. Because he knows that without the gospel, none of us can live in harmony. Without the gospel in our hearts, none of us can think missionally, think outside of ourselves, think outside of these walls. And only when the gospel is transforming our lives can God use us for his purpose to reach other people for him. So the key to both this is, is and this is true here at Journey, is to lift up, lift high Jesus and to humble ourselves. And, and the theological way to put that is to magnify God's grace seen in and through Jesus and to emphasize faith which humbles ourselves, to put our trust and belief in Jesus. So chapter 11 then opens up kind of addressing that issue, addressing this elephant in the room, and it begins, you know, with this idea of what do we do with the Jewish believers? 
You know, that they were gone, they came back, but, but the church was doing just fine without them, and there's already tension. So, that, so Paul asked this question, you know, what, what about the Jewish people that are not following Christ? What do we do with them? You know, weren't they God's chosen people? Wasn't Israel God's chosen nation? So this question that Paul is asking that, that's in the forefront of the, his mind is, has God rejected his people? And the bigger picture is, has God rejected his covenant that he made with Israel? And this is where it gets important and applicable, because if the answer to that is yes, if God has rejected them, then what about us? If God failed his purpose with Israel, will God fail with us? Will he give up on us? See, if God has reneged on his promises to Israel, how do we know that he won't do the same with us. So chapter 11 is wrestling through some of those tough questions. Well, his answer to that question is back to grace. And that's God's grace is bigger than that. In fact, to sum it up, we could say that grace overflows and it breaks down barriers. It's, it's the very nature of grace to overflow, overflow into areas that we would never ask or imagine or even picture or consider. And that, that means that grace then finds places in the hearts of unlikely people. Unlikely in the sense of those people, those families, those individuals that we never would have thought would be deserving of grace, God impacts and changes their life. And he breaks down those barriers, ethnically, culturally, uh, religiously, and that's the whole point of this chapter. And we learn a lot about what, who God is in chapter 11 of Romans. We, we see him working. We see him kind of restoring and talking about his nation of Israel. And as we look to this chapter, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see that God is surprisingly graceful, that his grace is deeply attractive, and the grace of God brings glory to God. So let's dive in and look beginning in verse 1 of Romans chapter 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, of how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept myself, kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. You see, God is surprisingly graceful, graceful because God is not through with his people. Even though they were stubborn, even though they were rebellious, even though they were hard-hearted, God is not through with Israel. So Paul says in these opening verses, he says, look at me. I'm an example. I'm a witness to that fact. Because he says, I'm an Israelite, I'm a Jew, I'm from the tribe of Abraham, you know, I'm, I am a Jew to the core, and God is still working in me. And then he gives another example of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. 
And I love the story of Elijah, and you can find and read that in 1 Kings 18 and 19. But the story of Elijah goes from victory to depression, goes from the mountaintop to the deepest, darkest valley. Because if you know the story, Elijah had this awesome throwdown on the mountain where he conquered all these false prophets of Baal. And he, he called them out. Um, he proves that their God is false, that the Lord God is the only true God, and he slays them all. But then there's this queen named Jezebel that finds out what Elijah did. So Elijah f- runs for his life, becomes depressed, discouraged, and he literally wants to die. And then God shows up, and through his angel, he just says, Elijah, I want you to rest I want you to get some water, you know, stay hydrated, get some rest. And then Scripture says that God bakes him a cake. (laughs) And it wasn't a devil's food cake. Any guess on what it would be? Angel food. I'm pretty sure it was angel food cake. But God reminded him through that whole process that you're not alone. That yet it might, you might feel alone, that it might feel like you're the only one left. But God's saying, no, I have a remnant, and the remnant is 7,000 people that have not bowed their knee to false gods. You see, God is not done yet. And just when you think it's over, when you're having that Elijah moment, when you feel like you're the only one trying to follow God, and, or you're just feeling discouraged, you're depressed, and you're in that place where you're saying, God, just take my life. Know that God's grace is bigger than that. God's grace overflows into situations like that to find you in those deep places and to restore you. And sometimes it's as simple as get some sleep, stay hydrated, and eat a little cake and get get some nourishment because God's grace is not through with you. And God's grace shows up where we least expect it. In our lives, you know, through different people, we see, we see His grace working in ways that we would never have pictured or imagined. You know, grace continues to overflow in surprising ways today. Looking back at history in like the first century, who would have thought that within a, a couple hundred years that the Roman Empire would become a, a major hub of Christianity? The Roman Empire that was, you know, so paganistic and brutal and hedonistic, and they would become the major uh, center for the expansion of Christianity. And if you would have lived in the, in the fourth century, who would have ever thought that the center of, of Christianity would shift towards Europe and, and, and away from the Middle East, away from Israel, the nation of Israel? And it would become centered with, you know, Europe at the time was a bunch of barbarians and savage tribesmen, and they would be converted, and they would grow in their faith. Could you ever have imagined Christianity in Europe becoming and shifting towards a total uh, liberal theology and secular? And as they did, could you ever have imagined that, that the center of, of Christian growth would have shifted to a little upstart country called the United States? And the United States would see major revivals and massive, become a massive mission-sending country. But would you ever have imagined that today uh, we would see the church expanding and exploding in countries like China and Latin America and Africa, countries that we thought would be completely closed to the gospel, 
Countries that are some of the most dangerous parts in the, of the world to live in are just exploding with God's grace. God is overflowing into those countries that we always would have thought have, would have been closed. I mean, who would have predicted that? You see, just when you think it's over, you find that God has been doing something that you don't know about. Just when you're facing discouragement, God's grace shows up, and it's surprising. It's amazing. And God breaks down barriers in our hearts, and he breaks down barriers with other people. You know, we, we see that kind of progression, and the way, that's the way God worked even in the early church in the book of Acts. If you, if you remember that, that history, Paul and Peter would often go into a city and they would begin preaching the gospel in a synagogue where all the Jewish people at, were at. And they would go in maybe for a week after week and teach about how Jesus has fulfilled the prophecies, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And the reactions to that would be mixed. Some Jews would believe, others would resist. And what often happened, they were kicked out of the synagogues, so they would go preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the streets. They would go to a different place and, and preach to Gentiles. And Gentiles would accept the gospel message and they found Gentiles willing to believe. And what they found is that ministry efforts in one direction were often closed off and, and redirected to others. See, places where the harvest, um, where they first thought it would be fruitful, proved to be not so. And they found fruit for the harvest in other areas because God's grace is surprisingly unlikely at times. You know, that, that leads us to another aspect of God's grace, and that is it is deeply attractive. So he goes on to say in verse 11 of chapter 11, he says, So I ask, did they stumble, referring to Israel, did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their inclu full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an, an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. For if their rejection means the re reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Paul is saying there's some spiritual jealousy going on, and a good form of jealousy. You know, he, he's basically saying that the Gentiles are living uh, envious lives. You know, the, the, the ESV that I read from uses the word jealous. The NIV uses the word envy. Basically, he's saying that the Gentiles are living out their faith in such a way that's making Israel envious of them, envious of the closeness that the Gentiles felt towards their God, the Lord God. So the God of the Jewish forefathers is now the God of the Gentiles. And again, there's this tension going, wait a minute, I thought he was our God. You know, he was the Lord God, the one that we have worshiping, and now you are worshiping him too? Because when they came back to Rome, they saw the Gentiles following and worshiping the God in a fresh and vibrant way. And there, there's a lesson here that I think we can draw from, and that's making people thirsty for Christ by how we live our life. 
by how you live your life. You know, the, the church journey is to be a place where, where uh, there's such love for Christ, there's such love for each other that both believers and non-believers just become thirsty for Jesus. They want more of Him. They, they, see, they see what's going on here and they say, I want some of that. I mean, what a challenge for us. What a challenge. Are, you know, are we living out our faith in such a way to make, you know, Wayne America, to make this county, to make Northeast Nebraska, just say, I want what they have. You know, when Christ followers are so f- alive, so full of Christ, so full of love for one another, hopefully unbelievers look and say, whatever they have, I don't have, but I want it. I want that kind of joy. I want that kind of contentment. I want the kind of peace that they exude even in the midst of crazy circumstances. I want that. You know, so I need to ask you, Journey, would an unbeliever look at your life and say, I want to know the risen Christ? Would they look at your actions? Would they look at how you treat your family, how you treat your spouse, how you, uh, your work ethic in the workplace? And would they say, I want to know Christ like you know him? You know, so often I, I hear stories of the opposite, where unbelievers will look at the church or they'll look at people in the church and say, nope, no thanks. I don't want any part of that. Well, Journey, let's be different than that. Let's be that, that kind of church that creates that, that spiritual envy that Paul is talking about. When they look at our worship of God, they say, I don't know what's going on there. It's different, but whatever it is, I want a little bit of that. You know, when we, when we look at our church, sometimes we're tempted just to see all the things that are wrong. You know, and there is no perfect church. But think about it as a new believer or someone who is spiritually curious. They might come in these doors and just see a supernatural quality, visible and attractive. They might see forgiveness and patience and gentleness and love that they're not seeing in the outside world. They might see the Holy Spirit alive and working and active. And that kind of grace that's being overflowed and pouring out can melt some hard hearts. So to keep from pride creeping in in the situation there in Rome, uh, Paul kind of gives them a gut check. He uses this illustration about horticulture and grafting different branches and trees in to remind them not to get prideful. He says in verse 17, But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. That's the part of this chapter where I read over and over, and I'm like, huh? What's going on? What's he talking about? All this, this plants and agriculture and horticulture. Well, what's going on here is that the olive tree represents the whole people of God. The root is the, are the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. The natural branches are ethnic Israel, the Jewish people, and the wild branches grafted in, that's the Gentiles, that's, that's us. 
So here, here's the attitude check that Paul brings. He says, we too, we Gentiles, we believers, we also stand on the shoulders of the Jewish patriarchs, the founders of the faith. Remember, Jesus was a Jew. The apostle Paul was a Jew. So don't be arrogant saying that we are better than they or that, that our relationship will never be cut off. So, and then Paul says, after this Gentile wave of faith is over, eventually all Israel is going to be saved. He goes on to write about it in verse 25. He says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. Now when that happens, we don't know. You know, there's going to be a massive gospel movement um, the Gentile love of the gospel will eventually cause Israel as a nation to turn back to God. Paul doesn't give us the details of that, you know, but he just says it's going to happen. There's no timeline given. But one incidental thing that we can learn from Paul in that part is to never, ever give up on the people in our lives. Never stop praying. Never give up hope, even when they're hearts are hard, when they have rejected you and Jesus to your face, never stop praying. And then it comes down to just this beautiful conclusion to chapter 11. This, this confusing part, this, this part that's hard to find some uh, relevancy ends in beautiful praise and worship of our God. Because the grace of God brings glory to God. And this is one of my favorite parts of all of Romans, beginning in verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For, we, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So what's our, our response to God's grace? One is just incredible wonder at, at who our God is. You know, he just reminds us just the nature of God is incomprehensible to us. You know, we're finite. He is infinite. So our experiences limit ourselves. So we can't even think in categories in such a way to accurately describe who God is. I like how author C.S. Lewis gives an, an example of this um, when he says to give the example and think about shellfish for a minute. He says, picture one shellfish trying to describe human beings to other shellfish. So he has to speak in, in terms of the common shellfish experience. So he tells them that human beings, they have no shell, they are not attached to a rock, and they do not reside in water. And all the other shellfish are like, what? what? What are they? So to help get this idea across, he expands on his statements and says human beings are sort of an amorphous jelly. They have no shell. They exist nowhere in particular because they're not attached to a rock. And they never take nourishment because there's no water to bring it to them. So the conclusion that they come to, human beings are a famished jelly existing in a dimensionless void. <laughs> I love that example of how you try to describe something outside of your realm and it is impossible to do. 
So we are left with a sense of a wonder, a worshipful wonder of who our God is, and that is a good thing. The second response to all this grace that's been poured out is just an incredible affirmation. Kent Hughes, the, the biblical scholar, writes regarding this final verse of verse 11. He describes it as the most uplifting doxology in the entire New Testament. For from him are all things. I mean, what do we have that God has not given us? And through him are all things. What can we do without him? And to him are all things. Who else deserves our highest honor? To him be the glory forever. Amen. So as I close this morning, as praise team comes back up, let me just give you four applications that I think we can draw out of this this, uh, challenging chapter. One is a passion for evangelism. Paul was burdened for his people. Even though his people rejected Jesus as Messiah, he didn't give up on them. The second application is unity. The importance of church being united, being one, because uh, he knows that's the only way to reach the lost. So are we burdened for the lost? Are we pursuing and, and contributing to unity? Another application is hope. You know, this chapter gives us hope because ultimately God's in control and the timeline is His, not ours. So where does our hope lie? And lastly, application of worship. All of this is headed towards this great doxology at the close of the chapter. It ends with a beautiful passage of worship. So we have to ask ourselves, does our lifestyle, is our lifestyle one of worship? More than just Sunday morning. Can we say to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for uh, a beautiful close to a challenging chapter. Father, we we just acknowledge that we are from you, that we live through you, and that our, our entire life is to you. So, Father, may we live our lives in such a way that people look at us and say that they want some of Jesus. Father, use us, pour out your grace on us and through us, and may it flow out from us. And we pray this in your name.